if you don't know some history, if you don't, don't know, the, some of this can be a little confusing. Uh, so just let me restate a few things for some of us who, who may not be aware of them. Uh, Pentecost, the word Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, is not strictly a New Testament word. Uh, there were three principal festivals that the Israelites were called to celebrate. One of them was the Festival of Weeks, or Pentecost. The other was the Festival of Unleavened Bread, Passover. And the other was the Festival of Tabernacles, or Booths. So the Festival of Pentecost was a, a harvest festival, a first fruits festival. And we could go from that point and talk a lot about the importance of first fruits in our life in all the areas of our life and in giving and many other areas. We won't go into that tonight. But they were, where they were together some of the first fruits and come and give. And this would be, you know, Pentecost is 50 days. It's 50 days uh, pretty much after the Passover. This is now going to be 50 days after Jesus was raised uh, from the grave. So, when you hear this word Pentecost, sometimes people go, well, how do you know it's Pentecost? And it's, it's, it's because of, it happened on the day of Pentecost. The, the Spirit movement, and it has now become a very New Testament word for us as believers that we relate to as, uh, we relate to as the day the, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so we call ourselves many times Pentecostals because we believe in the work that happened on Pentecost that's for us today. So here's the question that believers must answer in regard to the Holy Spirit and his work in our life. Here's the first question you've got to answer. Do you believe 2 Timothy 3.16? Let's, let's read it. Let's look at it and let's read it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly, furnished unto all good works. Do you believe that Scripture? Okay, so we believe all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And I've purposely used the King James Version because it gives, I believe, the clearest call here. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine. In other words, it may say teaching. But the, the, the depth of it is really doctrine. It's, it's, it's good for reproof. It's good for correction. It's good for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture. So the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished for all good works. So we need the Scripture to become perfect in all good works. We need the Scripture to become complete. We need to let the Scripture do its work in our lives. So if we believe this passage, if we're saying yes to this, then the question is, do we believe that the book of Acts is Scripture? If the book of Acts is Scripture, then, the, then, then 
then the events of Acts have doctrinal meaning to them. Amen? It's not just a history. The two big arguments that Christians use against the Holy Spirit baptism today are, are this. One, that Acts is primarily a book about church history, not doctrine. Now that gets to be real creative when you're dealing with this scripture in 2 Timothy. Because you've got to adjust things to say, well, that's, you know, that's really for historical value. It's not really for doctrinal value. That's a scary thing to do when you begin to pick and choose throughout the Bible what's of doctrinal value and what isn't. The second argument that they use is that the baptism was for the apostolic age and it ended at the end of the apostolic age. 1 Corinthians 13 is a scripture that they use for this when it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So now, so now faith, hope, and love abide. Uh, these three, but the grace of these is love. The, they have the tendency to define when the perfect comes as the Bible. So they say that when the apostolic age came to an end, the Bible had now been written and we no longer needed these other gifts. Now, we know that knowledge hasn't ceased. And if you look and you see what's going on in the world today, you know prophecy hasn't ceased. Prophecies are still happening, still being fulfilled, still being given. And if you see what's happened in the terms in the last hundred years of revival around the world, let me tell you, the greatest revival, the greatest awakening in the world has happened in the last hundred years in the history of mankind, in the last hundred years, and guess what? It is a Pentecostal move and awakening of God all around the world. Pentecostals believe that the perfect means Jesus and his rule. When Jesus and his rule comes, then we're not going to need some of these things anymore because we're going to be enlightened, everything's going to be enlightened, and we're not going to need those things any longer. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus actually says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons they will speak in new tongues. He says, this is what's going to happen. Uh, this is what's going to accompany those who believe. So, uh, I want us to take a look a little bit at some, uh, some scriptures and acts and just restate what, what they say to us. Uh, and again, if, as a believer in these things, if you're talking to somebody who isn't, 
you've got to go back to the book of Acts and show them, and you've got to go to Corinthians and show them some things that are there if they really want to enter into that debate. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I have found that debate to be futile. Uh, my dad uh, had a man in, in one of his first churches that, that lived down the street and would come down. And he, was, he, he wanted to debate my dad on this issue. And they would sit at the kitchen table in my mom and dad's house and they would debate about this issue. And they'd been doing this for several weeks. They'd meet once a week and talk about it. And finally, my dad looked across and realized this man knows what I'm telling him is true. And my dad said to him, you know this is the truth. This is true scripture. And the man said, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. In other words, you're not going to change me even though I see that, the, see that your argument is stronger than mine. Uh, that's, that, that's where I found this to be in most cases. And the answer to that is just to pray for people and pray for God to pour his spirit out on them. Now, I'm telling you, if you go back 50 years ago, the Pentecostal church was really uh, attacked by mainline evangelical churches, much less so now than then. Occasionally you get it, but much less so now than then. Do you know why? Too many of their family members have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that's changed. Just recently, one of the mainline Baptist movements came out with this just amazing statement that their missionaries around the world could now fellowship and work in unity with Pentecostals around the world. They were very clear, not in the United States, just around the world. Now tell me that makes a lick of sense. <laughs> if you believe it's evil, why would you endorse it anywhere in the world? And if you see that it's true, why wouldn't you endorse it everywhere in the world? So, but th this is just how twisted, and, and it really, you say, well, why would they do that? It's political, because if they stood up in their churches and said, we now accept this, there would just be pandemon pandemonium in, in many of the churches. So, uh, that's, that's just understanding our times, understanding what's going on. Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What happened? God, Jesus had told them, go back to Jerusalem and wait for power. These were his followers. These were people who believed in him. These were people who trusted him to be Christ, the Christ. These were his followers that he, was, that he told, you know, go out into all the world and make disciples. But before you go, before you do anything, you go back and you wait for power to come upon you. And it's the power that John talked about. He's going to baptize you in the Spirit with fire. And so they're back. Peter would now look at this and use it in his sermon to say, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. This is what was prophesied when you read Acts chapter 2. So what happens in this room while they're waiting on God? This sound like a, like a, a mighty rushing wind comes in amongst them. Uh, visibly, tongues of fire rested upon them. God was doing a new thing. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm amazed at this because this now springs, this is one of the things I really want you to take note of, this springs out of the church and into the city. So it's the day of Pentecost. It's a day when men from all throughout Jewish men are supposed to gather in Jerusalem for this festival. Men of different nations, men of different languages are there. And the Bible lists many of these languages. And they sit there and they say, what is this? We hear these men proclaiming the glory of God in our language. In our language. And the Bible tells us at the end of the day, 3,000 are added to the church that day. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? Now, I would tell you, as you look at the rest of the book of Acts, it's interesting that the sound of mighty rushing wind doesn't happen anymore. Tongues of fire doesn't happen anymore. The one identifying factor that the apostles used over and over again was that they, that they speak in tongues. In Acts chapter 8, the persecution of the church begins. Up until this time, it's been relatively quiet. Few things have happened. But now the, person of the church, uh, persecution of the church really breaks out, led by Saul, and many believers are scattered around the known world at that, at that point in time. They, they take off because their lives are in danger, and the only ones who really stay are the apostles. In Acts chapter 4, we see, and now those who were scattered went about preaching the word, verse 4. That, so they didn't just leave, they went out fulfilling the Great Commission. And many, many people think the persecution had to happen for them to obey God. There's a, that, there's a whole doctrine there that can scare you half to death. If you don't obey God, things happen to make you obey God. Uh, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did. So God was backing up his word with miracles. For unclean spirits, crying out with, loud, with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Now, I, I just want to take one side note here. One of the things the enemy wants to do to us is he wants to get us so smart that we're stupid. Did you hear me? And, and this is one of those errors. We have a tendency, the Western world has a tendency to dismiss spiritual forces. Eastern places in the world don't dismiss them. They, they see them and know them. They're aware of them. They're participating with some of them. So in this place, many things have happened. Now, so while that's happening... Word goes back to Jerusalem. So, but when they believe Philip, as he preached the good news, verse 12, about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. They were baptized in water. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with, with Philip. Simon is this guy who is kind of a sorcerer and had some sort of power that everybody thought he was really something. And now Philip comes in, and the power of God is so great that Simon's power seems to be nothing. 
and seen the signs and great miracles performed, Simon was amazed, it says in verse 13. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now they've received the word. They have been baptized by Philip. Peter and John come and say, do you have the Holy Spirit? They don't. And they pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Luke doesn't say exactly what happened at that moment, but when Simon sees what's going on, Simon the sorcerer goes to Peter and John and says, how much money do I have to give you to be able to do that? And they rebuked him and rebuked him so hard that he pleaded with them, don't let any of those things happen to me. And he had to repent. In Acts chapter 9, the next chapter, uh, Paul comes back, Saul comes back on the scene. And Saul has found everybody in Jerusalem he can find. And he's heard that some of them have fled to Damascus. And he gets permission to go to Damascus and raise up anybody from this sect and arrest them and bring them back. And the Bible teaches us, tells us that Saul has been very active in persecuting the church and killing Christians. On verse 9, as we go through this, as we go through chapter 9, we know the story that on that Damascus road, God in his mercy deals with Saul. Saul. Now, I'm going to tell you why I believe he did that. I believe he did that because I think Saul was sincere in his belief. But I also think Saul was beginning to see the way these Christians lived and died, and he was struggling. And now God knows I've got to take this guy over. The, I've got to re- reveal myself to him. And God reveals himself to him, and he's going to turn that zeal to destroy the church into zeal to build the church. I mean, can you deny that anybody was, that, that, that Paul was zealous for the kingdom of God? So now Ananias uh, is told, go pray for Saul. We all know the story. He doesn't want to do it. He's scared. But God tells him, you got to go do it. So Ananias departed into the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit with the Holy Spirit. He's brother Saul. He needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus has appeared to him, but he needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't say what happens to him there, but later, Paul, when bringing instruction and correction to the church in Corinth, would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 18, he would say, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. They needed some correction. They were doing some things wrong. They were out of order in a lot of places, and Paul was bringing correction to them, but he didn't want them to throw everything out. He wanted them to keep 
this gift, this baptism in their life. And so he's telling them, you've got to stop doing some of these things. And you guys think you all speak in tongues a lot? Guess what? I speak in tongues more than all of you. The next chapter is, that, is, is the opening of the gospel. And, and in, both of these, in, in, in all three of these places, you see God opening the gospel. First in Samaria that the Jewish people wouldn't accept. Then to Saul, who was trying to kill the church. And now to the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, that's us. The Jewish people would have, in that first century, many of them would have a great dilemma in coming to an understanding that we could be saved. We were basically dogs outside of the church. We were not the elect. We were not the special. We were destined for separation from God. And we were getting what we deserved. And they didn't see the gospel as being opened to us. The second big battle they would fight is did we have to fulfill, live the law which Paul would fight all of his life telling us, no, we're saved by grace. Thank God. So we know the story. Cornelius is, is, is doing what he always does. He's a good guy. He gives alms to the poor. He, he's generous to those in need. Uh, he's praying. He's trying to live a righteous life. And he gets this vision, this, this revelation to send for Peter and to have, go down to the sea, get Peter on the job and get Peter and bring him back. So he sends some of his servants down to get Peter. At the same time, God's moving in a vision in Peter's life because he knows Peter won't go up to meet with this Gentile guy unless he's really cornered. And he corners Peter and says, you're to go with him. And so Peter goes up there to him and he says, well, I guess I got to, here's what's going on. I guess I got to preach to these guys. He doesn't know what's going to happen. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Fell on all of them. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They're like, we didn't think these people would get saved. Now they're being filled with the Holy Spirit. They're, they were blown away. For they were, why did they believe that? For they were hearing them doing what? Speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked him to remain with them for some days. So here's this next step of God moving in the Gentiles. Later in Acts chapter 19, Paul is at Ephesus. And, uh, and, and, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, in verse 1, it says, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. What did he find? He found some followers. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, are you seeing this? These are disciples. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? They said, we were baptized into John's baptism, which is a you know, baptism of repentance. And Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Paul laid his hands on them. 
and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Two primary functions of the Holy Spirit. Now, some would say three and count initial evidence as one. I'm not going to argue with them on that if they want to say that as a function, but two primary functions. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. We've talked about this. If you want to really say, God, get, fill me with words of life and encouragement that build others up. For the one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, for he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the one hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for what? For their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. This is all about building us up. It's all about building us. It's about strengthening us. It's not about us having a higher position in the church. That's not what this is about. This is about our spirits being fortified. Do you understand that? I'm not, oh, well, he prophesies. He's, he's a higher place in the church. No, it's about building other people up. Speaking in tongues. Oh, well, he speaks in tongues. He's, he's something special. No, it's about building me up. So there's a lot to unpack here, but we're going to stay with tongues. The one who speaks in tongues speaks to God. That's what it says here. What is this? This is personal prayer. This is God using this for us to pray. What does he do? He utters mysteries. We'll see in a moment. Our mind's not even fruitful by it. Our spirit is. Our spirit is fruitful in our spirit. We may not, we may not even know what we're praying, but we're praying through the leading of the Spirit. We pray for things led by the Spirit. Listen, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Spirit does. You don't know what's going on in, in, in your kids' lives and friends' lives and other people's lives. We don't know what Spirit... There's so many things we don't know that the Spirit can use us to pray for because our spirit is in alignment with God's Spirit and He moves through us to pray for things because God has ordained that things change through prayer. So, you, listen, you, think, you got things in your life you want changed, you think are outside of the will of God and you want them changed? The most important, powerful thing you can do is pray for them. We all like to act and then ask God to bless it. That's just backwards. We need to ask for God's blessing and then do what God tells us to do. And sometimes we don't like what he tells us to do. Now, when we begin to pray this way, we're praying for things we don't know. We're praying for things we don't know, but our spirit is in, is in alignment with God. The person who prays is built up. What does that mean? As I pray under this leading of the Spirit, we are strengthened by the Spirit. 
I'm going to tell you what I sincerely believe. I believe there's times in my life of testing and trial that in the middle of those moments in my spirit, maybe not even out loud, I begin to pray in the spirit and I find myself being strengthened to stand in that moment by the strength of the spirit of God. But here's the promise. The person who prays in this strengthens himself. He gets built up by the power of the spirit. That flowing of the spirit through us leaves residual strength in us. So, and here's number four that we see in this passage. The Holy Spirit has inspired the Word. How many believe the Holy Spirit's inspired the Word? Do you believe it? Holy Spirit's inspired the Word. What, is the, what does it say here at the, end of this, at the end of this verse? Now I want you all to speak in tongues. He said, I want you all to do this. I want this for Everybody. Do you believe the, the, that's the Holy Spirit saying that to us? If we believe the Word. So primary function number one is a prayer life in partnership with the Spirit that leaves us built up and changes things that we don't even know. Things happen and don't happen that we don't even know we've influenced because the Holy Spirit has used us to pray in his will. Do you understand the most powerful prayer you can pray is the one that's in the will of God? And the most powerful way you pray in the will of God is when you pray led by the Spirit of God. So this is why we should desire this gift. If you go down a little bit farther in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Therefore the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. This is talking about in the church. For if I pray in a, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I'm going to do both. I'm going to do both these. I want my mind to be fruitful. I want my spirit to be fruitful. I love this next part. I will sing praise with my spirit. Have you ever been around people? Have you ever done this? Have you been just in a worship time just begin to sing and pray in the spirit? I will pray with my spirit. And I'll tell you what, when you leave that, you feel edified. You feel strengthened. But I will also sing with my mind also. I'm also going to sing in my understanding. So we pray and sing both in the spirit and in our understanding. And in that, the spirit of man is built up but it warns us, but others aren't. We are, unless somebody interprets the message. Because all of these gifts, listen, all of the gifts are for the common good. All of the gifts are not simply about glorifying us. It's about building up the church, about building up others. Now, let's go to primary function two. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same, the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I love this because it doesn't say for some. I can boldly stand here and tell you, listen, you have a gift of the Spirit. This is why you need to go to starting point, uh, starting, you know, starting point class three 
and four, if you haven't been through them, if you haven't taken a spiritual assessment, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, you need to take those spiritual assessments, begin to let us help you discover what your gifts are because you have gifts you're supposed to use. You don't want to be like the man who buried his talent in the, sand, in the ground and waited for the Lord to come. You want to get that talent out and use it for the glory of God's kingdom. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another the various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these were empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So now I want to get this. For me to be safe, I need the body of Christ. I don't want to go it alone. God has divvied up these gifts according to his will, and I need the people around me to use them, to build me up, to strengthen me, to protect my family, you need the body of Christ to use them. I don't need to be a lone ranger. I need to be connected. Are you with me? Now, we see here gifts that are given to each one individually as the Spirit directs. And he says, you know, various kinds of tongues, another interpretation of tongues. Let's look down a little bit farther, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now, you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. When you come to Christ... You become a part of the body of Christ. And God has appointed his church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, uh, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. So there's, there's all kinds of gifting in here that we need to recognize that is gifting. So sometimes somebody has this really high gift of administration, and we kind of look at that as if, oh, they're just, you know, they're just an administrator. No, they are gifted to help the church be, help, be, be better. That person just, you know, we really love them. They help people. They, they just, they're so good at helping people. They're not, you know, they're not really, you know, a dynamic Christian. They're just a helper. No. They're gifted to help. Amen? That's where their gifting's at. And, and so we rejoice in that. So it goes, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a, most, a more excellent way. Wait a second. I, I thought a minute ago that the, in, in chapter 14, the Spirit said he wanted us all to pray in tongues, and now it says, do all speak in tongues? And the answer to that is, you know, obviously, no, the, the gifts are divvied up the way they're supposed to be. What, am I, what, what are we missing here? We miss understanding the difference between the two primary functions. Primary function one is this baptism of the Holy Spirit that is for everyone, for our prayer life, for us to exercise in our prayer life that was in unity and communion with the Spirit of God that we pray and utter mysteries, tear down strongholds, do the work of the kingdom, build up our family, strengthen our families when we don't even know what some, we just know we're carried away. There's been times in my life, in my prayer time, I am so burdened for something, I run out of me. 
And I began to pray in the Spirit. And my suspicion, my great, great suspicion is God is taking me past what I know in those circumstances to pray in the Spirit for those things. And I suspect that because I've been so burdened and led into it. And now the Spirit begins to lead me. And at the end of it, I feel the release of the Spirit for that thing. Now, that's just an experience. We can't hang too much on experiences. But it sure does sound right. So here's the, the other thing is, so you got one, this prayer life for all of us. The second one is this gifting in the Holy Spirit that is for some. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Those who prophesy, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. So what we're seeing here is that there's a gift of prophetic utterance that comes inside of a service from time to time, inside of a small group from time to time of believers where a message comes for that group and it's going to build them up, it's going to strengthen them. And the requirement is there's got to be somebody there that is gifted to interpret that. If not, I'm to hold it. The prophecy is always subject to the prophet. The Spirit's always subject to the prophet. My dad had a gal come up to him once and say, at the end of the service, she was brand new in our church, just visiting actually. And she said, I have two gifts, Pastor. I was here visiting your church. I have two gifts. That's said, really? She said, yes. She said, uh, I have the gift of, of tongues, and I have the gift of discernment. And I felt a message come on me today, but I discerned you wouldn't like it. And my dad said, your, one of your gifts was working really well. <laughs> and his point, his point was, you, you should be known in the body of Christ. This is for somebody that's known. Uh, so, let the word speak for itself. We're going to wrap this up. Let the word speak for itself. 1 Corinthians 14, 6. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you, you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world, and none, of, and none is without, without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and a, and a speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the one who speaks in tongue, in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. In verse 39, So my brothers earnestly desire prophecy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So this is about decency and order in the church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Verse 19, it said, Paul writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Now listen. 
but test everything, hold fast to what is good. There's absolutely nothing wrong if somebody starts to give a message in tongues for the elders and leaders of that church to give judgment to it. Got to test it. There's been this naive theory inside of Christianity, inside of Pentecostal Christianity, that if somebody begins to speak in tongues, that, boy, everybody get your hands off of that. We don't want to quench the Spirit. That's not what this is saying. It's saying that, that the way we quench, what I want you to hear, here's the way we quench the Spirit, by just letting things go wild. That's how you quench the Spirit. Because I'll tell you, somebody gets up and begins to do something that's not of God, Every ungodly person in that room is going to have the enemy sitting on his shoulders going, that's not real. And they're going to sit there and go, that's not real. And they're going to walk out thinking everybody's crazy in a hoot out. When the Spirit of God moves, the unbeliever knows it's real. Everybody knows it's real. Because it's powerful and anointed and cuts to the heart inside of things. So pastors and elders are supposed to judge the word. All right, we'll go on next week. Has this been good so far tonight? All right. Here's what I'm hoping. If you're, if you're, if you, if you're a spirit-filled believer, you have this, this baptism in your life, I want to encourage you not to neglect it. I want to encourage you not to, not to neglect that, that, that gifting. I, I want to encourage you to, to let that baptism in your prayer life, I want to encourage you to, to, to just have the Lord say, Lord, help me to practice this and walk in it. And my hope is here today, if for whatever reason, maybe you've been around places where it's been abused, maybe you've never been around it ever. Uh, you never, you, you, I, I hope you'll get hungry and say, you know what? I want to be able to pray for my family and I want to be able to pray for my world. I want to be able to pray under the leading of the Holy Spirit in its purest form. I want to pray with my mind. I also want to pray with the Spirit. I want to worship with my mind. I also want to worship with the Spirit. And I hope you'll begin to, begin to say, you know what? I need the strength of God in my life more and more and more in this day. See, you know, when I sit and I think about the, the Christians from Paul's day that face martyrdom and Christians around the world today that face martyrdom, are they any different than us? They're no different than us other than this. In that moment, the Spirit gives them strength to face things that's unimaginable. That's the only way they can do that. They don't do that on their own strength. They don't do that just because they're convinced that Christianity is right. There's a strength that pours into them at that moment that gives them the strength to be a martyr. That you can sit here today and say, well, what would I do if I was ever in that place? You would do what, the, as, as you walk in the Spirit, you do what the Spirit gives you the strength to do. And men, but here's the, here's, the, here's the catch. Many of us fail before the world. The pressure of the world comes on us to be a witness, and we fail. We stumble. We don't open our mouth. We don't testify. We don't speak up. We stay silent out of fear. Now, I'll be clear. Sometimes we're silent out of wisdom. But many, many times we know, you know the difference when you're silent out of wisdom and when you're silent out of fear. When we're silent out of fear, it's because we haven't been walking in the Spirit enough. When you walk in the Spirit, 
God will give you the strength. We're going to dismiss in just a minute, so let's just stand together today and just open our hearts to the Spirit of God. Dan, would you come up and just start where you're at. We just lift your heart, hands to the Lord and just worship Him today and invite Him into your life today. Father, we just lift our hands to you. We just lift our hands to you today, Lord, and we invite your Spirit into us. So many of us in this room are so grateful that your Spirit has filled us and continues to fill us, and we walk through life being filled by your Spirit and your strength. And Father, maybe there's some in this room they have never been hungry for this experience, maybe because of their background, maybe because of things they've seen. And Father, I just pray that today we would open our hearts not to our past experiences, but to your Word. Father, we don't want anything for anybody that's not from your Word. If this is from your Word, we pray that everyone would receive it and walk in it. If it's not your Word, Father, let us all walk away from it. But Lord, as we look at your word today, we see this great baptizing power. And we pray you pour it into our lives. Let's just worship the Lord for a minute and then we'll go home. Oh, Jesus, we are so grateful for the work you did for us on Calvary. That we can put our faith and our trust in you and be born again. That the old unregenerated, the old sinful heart can be regenerated, transformed, brought to life. And we can lean into the things of your spirit. Jesus, we are so thankful for your promise that you would send the Holy Spirit and that he would come. And Jesus, we're so grateful for the word of John that tells us that you would come and baptize us in power. And so tonight we pray for our church, Lord, in this day when... There's so much division in our country. There's so much blind hatred towards the things of your kingdom. There's so much blindness, Father, to what is right and wrong that even people who would call themselves your followers proclaim things to be right that so clearly in your word you say are wrong. Lord, and we know we cannot convince them with the cleverness of words or with good programming. We know we need your Holy Spirit. We know we need to be baptized in the power of your Spirit. We know we need to be strengthened by the strength of your Spirit. We know we need to speak out of the anointing of your Spirit. That strongholds would be torn down and the light of your gospel would be shown and that people's hearts would be transformed. So tonight, Father, I simply stand here with my brothers and sisters and I ask you, Jesus, baptize us in your spirit. Baptize this church again and again, week after week, day after day, in the power of your spirit. That, Father, our words would carry the authority of your word. That, Father, our lives would walk in the strength of your spirit. That, Father, we would build each other up and build others up in the right faith, we pray. And that, Father, darkness would flee and the light would shine wherever we go. Not that we would be glorified, Father. We pray specifically that we would be forgotten and the name of Jesus would be glorified. 
that, Father, the name of your Son would be lifted up on high. We pray that the power would come for people to be delivered, Father, from strongholds that bind their life. We pray that power would come that people would be healed and set free. We pray that power would come, that conviction would convict us of unrighteousness and turn us to righteousness. Oh, Father, we pray that power would come, that we would be obedient to you in all things. So tonight, fathers, we close this time together. We just invite you to touch us. This Saturday morning, Father, touch us. This Sunday morning, touch us. And Father, let your Spirit do his work in our lives every day and let there be a powerful growing number of people in this church walking spirit empowered lives in Jesus name we pray everybody said amen I love you the Lord loves you listen just open your heart daily to the spirit this isn't hard he stands at the door and knocks. He's not a long way away. He's close at hand. And we open our heart to him, he moves in our lives. God bless you tonight. Go in the name of the Lord and may his joy be with you.